You are listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. All right. Good morning, Mission family. Uh, So for anyone who might be new or doesn't know, my name is Taylor, and Jason asked me if I would speak this morning in our series on the temptations of Jesus. Um, I'm going to let you know that this week was not the week I thought I was going to have, so um, this is in the Lord's hands. Uh, It's been a difficult week, like Abby said, and uh, so yes. I ask for a little bit of grace if this isn't as articulate as I wanted it to be. Um, But we are in a series on the temptations of Jesus, so we're going to be in Matthew 4 today. I'm just going to start by reading the whole passage, and then we're going to focus in on the second temptation. So if you'd like to turn with me in your Bibles, we are in Matthew 4, starting in verse 1. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to a holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. I'm going to pray, and then we'll dive in. Father, I just ask that it would be your words that come from me today, that what message you have for the people in this room, Lord, and those maybe watching online, I just ask that you would speak into them what they need to hear, Father, and that you would use me, that this sermon would not be about me at all, God, but just what you have for us, Father, in your name, amen. All right, so uh, the second temptation that we see in this story is the temptation of um, throw yourself off the high point of the temple. So it's kind of an an interesting proposition that Satan comes to Jesus with. So um, there's a couple of different ways we can think about this temptation. Like, what is Jesus actually being tempted to do? Um, There's the sort of physical element of it, the the temptation to throw himself off the building, the implication being that God will rescue him in this, like, really miraculous, spectacular way, right? So there's this, like, physical jump off this building. But there's also another element of it, and that is that he's, Satan is asking Jesus to test God, to doubt his own identity and God's relationship with him. And so that is really what I see when I'm reading this. I think that's going to have a lot of application for us. So thinking about the context of this, this is going to be important in just a minute. So if you are familiar with the chronology, then you will remember that just prior to this, about 40 days before this or so, Jesus was baptized. And in that moment, he saw the heavens open up and he heard the voice of his father confirm his identity. You are my son in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus knows who he is. He doesn't have to doubt that. He doesn't have to question that. But it doesn't mean that we don't sometimes question. We are also sons and daughters of the Lord, and sometimes we have the temptation to question that. And so 
when you're thinking about the context, Jesus has just had this confirmation of who he is. He's had his baptism. He's about to start his public ministry, and Satan is putting this test to him. If you are the son of God, and Jesus doesn't have to question that. He knows. He's had that confirmation. So um, that's the, the first important thing that Satan comes to him with is, if you are the son of God. And, and thankfully, Jesus is so affirmed in that identity from his baptism that he doesn't have to question it. But then Satan comes with this uh, second part of what he says to Jesus. And it's a tactic that we see Satan use a couple of other places. So Satan says, it is written that, you know, he will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands. He's quoting from Psalm, uh, Psalm 91. I'm going to flip there. I'm going to read a few extra verses. So Psalm 91, starting in verse 9, it says, If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near to your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So Satan is not wrong here. It is written that that God would command his angels regarding Jesus, regarding us. But Satan is using this trick that he's used before where he's saying something that comes from scripture, but he's twisting it a little bit. He's not giving it the full context. He's not actually using it the way that it should have been used. So if you look through the whole Psalm 91, what you see is a picture of this ideal Israelite, the, the perfect Israelite, which is Jesus. We know that because the Israelites didn't actually live up to Psalm 91. Psalm 91 is full of these promises that God is your refuge, that you will dwell in the dwelling place of the Most High if you do the things you're supposed to do. The Israelites were not able to fulfill that. We are not able to fulfill that. But Jesus is able to fulfill that. And so when you look at what Satan is saying here is, it's it's like he's saying, you know, if you are who you say you are and God is who he says he is, then if you throw yourself off this building, you'll be protected because you've done the things that you're supposed to do. But Jesus knows his scripture really, really well too. He knows... uh, Some might say he was there when it was created. Um, So he quotes right back to Satan. He doesn't even take a minute to say, you know, well, you're, you're quoting that wrong or anything like that. He just says, it is also written. And Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 6. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. Um, And so when you're looking at what Jesus's response was, Jesus says, you don't test the Lord your God even though he's referencing back to the fact that the Israelites have done that. Sometimes we try to do that. And so when you're thinking about Deuteronomy 6, you're looking at a passage of scripture that's talking about this is how the Israelites should live. This is, um, it comes directly after the Ten Commandments. And so it's this whole section of scripture that really talks about what does it mean to to dwell in the holy place with God? What does it mean to be um, God's people and to live like we are God's people? And so that, that passage, among many other instructive things, it says you don't test the Lord your God. So Jesus comes back to Satan and says, you, it is written, you do not put the Lord your God to the test. Um, so we know, that, uh, we know that Jesus responds in this way and Satan just kind of moves on to the next one. So what does that mean for us? 
So we see a really good model here of how do we deal with these temptations that are similar to temptations that we might face. Um, when you're thinking about your own life, hopefully you've never had a temptation to jump off a building to see if God would do a miracle. But I think we have, hopefully, I think we have really similar situations in our lives where we want to cry out to God and say, God, do a miracle in this situation. I'll be honest, that happened to me this week where something happened and I prayed, God, do a miracle in this because this is hard and heartbreaking. We face loss, we face disease, we face grief, we face challenging situations. Maybe we're facing even persecution. Maybe Satan is really attacking you. We face these things on a day-to-day basis. And we can be tempted to say, if you're who you say you are, God, do a miracle in this situation. Fix this for me so that I know you are who you say you are. And I think that's really what Jesus is trying to tell us. That's not the posture of the heart. That's not the attitude we want to have. We should pray for miracles. Don't misunderstand. When I had the situation come up this week, that was my first prayer. God, you can miraculously heal this situation. I know you can do it, and I'm asking you to do it. But I'm not suggesting that if you don't, you are not God. And that's a really important distinction to make, right? We pray for the miracle. We say, God, do something so unbelievable that doctors are dumbfounded, that there's no explanation for it. But we don't say that if you choose not to work that way, we no longer believe you. But we can be tempted to do that. And unfortunately, people do that all the time. I have a good friend who's been uh, kind of walking away from God because of that exact scenario. He faced a hardship and said, Lord, do this thing in my life. Heal this person. And it didn't happen. And he said, okay, I'm out. And I think we face that temptation sometimes because the hurt and the pain is so real. We face these things that are so heartbreaking and they can just crush us. And so it's tempting to say, God, do the thing in my life. Do this miracle. Show me something great and I'll glorify you with it. I'll take that and I'll say, Jesus did this. But that is not the posture that Jesus demonstrates for us in this passage. He says, no, we do not put God to the test. So... When we face these temptations, there's, there's probably a lot of different really good responses. I'm going to focus in on just one today. Um, so it, it's going to be an interesting one to talk about. I'm, I'm going to talk about confession. I think confession is a really good practice that has had 2,000 years of a lot of confusing theology. And so everyone's going to have a connotation in their mind of what that means. Um, so I'm, I'm going to try to be really sensitive to that. Um, Confession is something that is really, really good and valuable in our life as Christ followers. We have sin, each and every one of us. And so to confess that sin is a good thing. And there's so much beauty and power in the fact that Jesus is the only mediator we need. We don't have to go to a priest or a pastor or somebody specific in in a posture of formal confession. We don't have to do that for the forgiveness That's beautiful. That's the whole gospel right there, right? Jesus is the mediator between us and God. We have a direct connection. However, sin that hides in darkness is sin that continues. And so confession is a way that we can break through that. And we have a lot of clear biblical... 
suggestions or um, encouragements to do that. So when we have the temptation to say, God, if you are who you are, say you are, do this great thing in my life, or help me do a great thing, and I'll glorify you. Um, we can come to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and we can confess that. Um, so one passage that I want to point to in James, James has uh, this great little section uh, at the end of the book in chapter five. He talks, it's kind of a really, um, really brief overview of the life of a Christian. And I, I love what he says here. So James five, in uh, verse, starting in verse 13. If anyone among you is in trouble, let them pray. If anyone is, is anyone happy, let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so we see this, this really succinct little um, passage that says, if you want to be a Christ follower, great. When things are great, we sing songs of praise. When things are not great, we pray. When we're sick, we go to the, each other in the church and we anoint with oil and we pray for healing. And when we sin, not if we sin, when we sin, we confess to each other so that those sins don't continue and we don't live in that sin and that darkness. And so... Again, this is not a, if you don't confess to fellow people in the church, you're not forgiven. It's not that at all. And I think there's, there's absolutely some really important discernment to do. It's, there, there's a time and a place. I'm not going to stand up here and say, okay, here we go. Here's my list. Here's what I did this week, right? You, you want to be discerning about who do I confess to. And that's absolutely really appropriate to say, who are my people in the church who are holding me accountable. They're the ones that are, um, you know, really intimately doing life with me. They're walking with me through these things. And those are the people that I'm going to go to and say, hey, this week I was really tempted to say, God, prove who you say you are. Do a miracle in my life. And they're the ones who can say, you're forgiven for that. You can have peace for that. The second part of this too is um, confession is not the end of it. When it comes to sin, we don't just confess it and then, okay, I'm done. I'm going to go turn around and go do that thing again, right? There are certainly people who have a theology where that's kind of what you get to do. As long as you name the sin, you can keep doing it because grace abounds. But Paul is really clear in Romans when he tells us that that's not true. And so in Romans 6, Paul says uh, in verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We don't continue sinning. So the other half of this confession and, and bringing the sins that we have to light with our, our people in the church is that we can say, okay, now hold me accountable. I'm going to turn away from this, and I'm not going to do this anymore. And so when we have the temptation to say, God, prove who you are, we can share that with somebody, and they can say, okay, there's forgiveness for that sin, and now you can move forward in growth and, and not do that anymore. Um, so what we, what we learned, what I learned as I was looking into this, uh, temptation this week is that we, 
we do have, sometimes have temptations similar to what Jesus faced in his life. You know, it's, it can be easy for us to sometimes forget Jesus's humanity and think, well, of course he never sinned. He was, he was God, but he was fully human too. And he faced these temptations to, to do miracles before his time, to, to go around the, the clear path of salvation that God had laid out for him, which involved a lot of strife and pain. And, and Satan offers him an opportunity to just sort of skip all of that, demonstrate your divinity, show everyone who you are, we'll skip all the hard stuff, and you can have all these kingdoms. You can demonstrate to everybody that you, know, you're, you are who you say you are. He faced that temptation. I think it's probably safe to assume that this is not the only time he faced temptations. There's another time later in the gospel where Peter's talking to him and Jesus says, hey, behind me, Satan. He uses similar language. I think it's fair to say that Jesus faced these temptations throughout his life on earth. It's not just in this story. So like us, Jesus had times where he had to draw on the strength of the Father to say, I know who I am in you. I have my identity. I don't have to test you to prove that I am who I say I am. You are who you say you are. And we have that relationship. So we can look to this model that Jesus gave us and we can say, okay, we, we have strength. We have, we have discipline, spiritual disciplines that we can use to help us not give in to these temptations. We have a clear model, and there's forgiveness when we, when we blow it. When we do accidentally say, God, do this miracle, or I won't believe in you anymore. Because sometimes we have that. Sometimes the, the pain that we face, sometimes the suffering that we deal with is so great that we, we give in to that temptation to say, God, what are you doing here? Why, aren't, why isn't your plan my plan? I don't understand your plan, but mine's pretty good, so <laughs> how about you do this for me, right? We face that temptation, and we give into it. And so we see this model that you know Jesus lays out for us to remember that we do not put our God to the test. And then when we do give into those temptations, we can confess to each other. We do life together as a church family. So you have those people who you can say, this is what happened to me this week, and I need to turn away from that posture of the heart and, and turn back to knowing who I am in Christ and knowing who my God is. My God is always faithful. Like Abby said, sometimes it's hard to say those words. It's hard this week for me to say, God, I trust your plan because I do not understand it. That is so hard sometimes, but I can confess that yeah, sometimes that's a temptation that I face and I can turn away from that and, and continue on in praising God and saying, I don't understand, but you are faithful. You are who you say you are. I don't have to ask if Jesus is who he says he is. I don't have to ask that because I know that he proved it by standing strong against these temptations. So with that, I'm going to say a word of prayer and we'll have the worship team come back up. Father, thank you so much for your uh, guidance for the temptations that we face, Father. Thank you that we have your strength, that we don't have to face them alone, and that we know that there is forgiveness when we give in to these things, Lord. I pray that the words that were spoken here today, um, I pray that you use them how you want, Lord, that, that you would give each of us what we need today to continue following you faithfully, God just thank you that you are faithful no matter what our circumstances, no matter how we feel, God, you are faithful and you have a plan and we can be so confident in that, God, and I thank you for that so much, Father.
I pray all this in your name. Amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.